Welcome to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly in Southeast Spain. We are here for the purpose of worshipping God and reaching others with love. We pray that as you listen, you will be inspired and challenged in your walk with God. Good morning, everyone. Thinking about society lately, it seems like everywhere we turn, at least I hear, and maybe rightly so, I hear a lot of complaint, and it seems to come from both sides of the spectrum of liberalism and also of conservative theology. And um, I would say it's not only in the realm of society. I think even we as individuals just come to points in time when we just quietly complain. And, and, and of course, we, we have this maybe the misconception that we can complain to anyone and everyone about everything except to God. Him we can't complain about or to. Uh, the book of Habakkuk is an interesting little um, uh, minor prophet. He, he is writing right at the time of King Josiah. Josiah was actually a good king. They had found the word of God. They began to read it. But it was also sort of the end of the good season. The bad season was about to start. Habakkuk actually lives long enough to see the first exile. And um, um, there is a... In the, in the Apocrypha books, there's this tradition that um, Habakkuk actually ministers to Daniel while in the lion's den. Now, that's a little complicated because that happened in Babylon. That would assume that he was taken to Babylon. There's no record of that. Um, but that's not the point. The point is he was a contemporary, at least, of young Daniel. And... Uh, and uh, his three friends. And um, he gets to see the first exile. But more than seeing the exile, he is shown some visions. He is, he is brought to the understanding that there is going to be this time of hardship. But understand, when he gets these visions, all is good. Actually, things are relatively good. In Jerusalem, um, things are just, you know, going to get bad as, as the days go on. But it had been okay spiritually. And um, he writes in chapter 1, verse 1. Um, do we have those up there? There you go. So this is him. By the way, Habakkuk was a priest. So he was a professional prophet, if you would. Verse 2 says, as he cries out to God, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? Ever felt that way? And you will not hear. It's like, where are you? You know, the, the prayers just kind of get about that high and they just sort of bounce off the ceiling. <clears throat> or cry to you. Violence. Society is going crazy. 
What is wrong with these young people? What is wrong with our culture? What is wrong with our world? What is wrong with the religious world? And you will not save. Now that's his perspective at that moment, right? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Like, aren't you going to do something about this? Now, if you were God, you would, right? I mean, if I were God, y'all would be in trouble. You know that already, right? (laughs) Destruction, violence are before me. Strife, contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. And you thought you're the only one that felt that way. Now it's been around. And the prophet is crying out to God because it is to God because he knows he's the only one that can change it. So I'm going to give you a prayer request. Pay attention. This, this one affects you in a serious way. The pizza shop right here next door. We've, Carlos has made friendship with them and I walked in just uh, yesterday to ask him a question and the Polish lady that serves, she knew me by name. I didn't realize she knew my name. Hello, Rafael. You know, she's Polish so she can say Rafael a little better. And, uh, and uh, she said, did you hear we're selling? I said, yeah, I kind of heard, but when are you selling? She said, in October. Not selling, moving, in October because they're going to sell the shop. Oh, I said, I'm sad to hear that. And she says, yeah, but do you know who's buying it? And I said, no, I don't know who's buying it. She says, the guy that owns the big sex shop in town, he wants to put another one here. That's next door, folks. So I said to her, I mean, she is not a believer. I'm sure she believes in God, but she's not a born-again believer. And she said, that is not good. I think you're right. You, yeah, that is not good. And I think she's thinking, that's not going to work very well. <laughs> a church and a sex shop. That doesn't work very well. You know what I said to her? I said, I'm going to get our people to pray. Do you know anything else we can do? For now, we're going to pray. Because we can yell out to God, how long, O Lord, are you going to just stand idly by while the wicked prosper? And we know the answer. The answer is, ah, you don't know my plan. Relax. Psalm 10, verse 1. Here the psalmist, you'd almost think it was Habakkuk writing, oh, He says, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I remember when I was young. I know. You think you are young. No, I mean, you know what I mean. When I just, I was just a new believer. So I was just like, you know, coming into Christ and there was a particular president in office at the time who was of the political mindset, not of the born-again group, 
But I didn't know. I didn't know politics. I didn't really care. Anyway, everybody was like, oh, where is God now, you know? And I'm like, what are these people talking about? And I would hear the older generation say things like, you know, where is this world coming to? As they would look at the younger people and they would sort of throw their hands up in the air and say things like, it was not like that when we were young. (laughs) Now we're the ones saying, it was not like that when we were young. And it's almost apparent that this world isn't marching in the right direction, is it? And we are still saying, where are you, God? Why do you stand far away? I'm sure that the Ukrainian society, the believers in Ukraine, some are wondering, where are you, God? This is an ending now the big concern is the, the uh, power plant, the nuclear power plant that apparently has been mined and they're afraid he'll just blow it just for the sake of blowing it. Or the refugees trying to cross the Mediterranean and the families, you ever thought about the families who watch their brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, children leave with the hopes of coming to Europe And they've been gone for a month, two months, three months, no news. And all they hear about is these little rafts and big boats that sink, and they keep wondering where they are on one of them. The pain that people suffer. The dark hour of the night. That part of the night when you just can't see beyond. You think it's the worst of things. And so you say, how long, O Lord, till the sunlight comes back? Um, My wife and I do an awful lot of driving when, uh, actually, whenever she gets a chance, I do a lot of sleeping. But uh, occasionally I'm up, at that hour, and, and you know, it's three in the morning, and you're still driving four, it's five, and you just want the sun to come up. That's all you want. You know you can hold on if you could see the sunlight. If, you, if you're a driver, a trucker, you know that. You just, you just if once that sunlight comes up, you kind of get a second breath, and you can keep driving. How long? Your expectation sometimes is not met. Your family disappoints you. Your goals are blocked quite often. Your strength diminishes. Your health deteriorates. Society is dismayed. And you just keep saying, how long is this going to go on? And... Some will tell us it's going to get better. There's going to, something's going to happen. It's going to get better. And others tell us, well, no, it looks like it's going to get worse. And no one seems to agree whether it's going to get better or it's going to get worse. But we know this. Right now, we seem to not think that it's doing very good. So we say, how long? 
these concerns and more can enter into or bring us into the dark part of the night. I mean, did I really worry about the next generation? Well, when I had children, I did. And then came the grandchildren, and I started thinking, what, what, what are we leaving them? What, what are they going to deal? I think I'm dealing with stuff. We have to change the constitution of our church. I don't know if you know that. We have to. And so we're in the process of doing that right now. Carlos has done a lot of the work already. We have to interject some things into our constitution to protect us. Because people can walk in through that door and demand something of us. And if we are not ready, we can get in trouble for not doing it. And we think, what's coming to my grandkids when they, I pray, will walk with God and have to deal with a world that is lifting its fist against him? Discouragement, loss of faith, spiritual doubt, resentment, bitterness, anger toward God, Complete derailment is what sometimes we think it's at hand. Or you just stick your head and hide it in the sand and make believe all is good. We live in the West. We can, we can deal with it. It's not as bad. Yolanda's here today. And uh, often she'll send me these articles from her newspaper in her part of England. And they are scary. Articles that are so anti-Christian write in their own newspapers. And you think, oh, that's only up there. It wouldn't happen here. Because that's what you always think, no matter where you live. If it's happening somewhere else, you always think it's never going to happen here. Some fears are brought on by the state or our economy. But that kind of, that's like the weather, you know. It's hold on long enough, it'll change. But the lack of morals in our society, they don't seem to be fluctuant. They, they just seem to be on a downward spiral. Whether you see it or not, it's there. The lack of sang, uh, sanctity of life, whether it's to the pregnant to the, to the unborn baby, or whether it's in a state of war. It seems like life just has no value. It's always been. So, let me just really run through this quickly. And we'll start with the first point, and it is the appointment of time. How long? That's a concept of time. How long? How much do I have to wait for you, God, to get on the ball, do something. There must not be a God because no one seems to be fixing this. Unless this is the way God wants it to be. That ever crossed your mind? No. No, because God is good and God is love and he wants everything to be just nice. But do we forget what we have done to God? 
and how we have affected our world with sin and how that must offend God. We don't think about that. Genesis 18 verse 14 simply says this, is anything too hard for the Lord? It says, at the appointed time, I will return to you. The appointed time belongs to God. You see, we are outside of that ability to foresee tomorrow, foresee the future. You could when you were raising children. See, you, when you were raising children, you could foresee the future, and so you disciplined them. And you taught them right from wrong. Because you could see what would happen if you just let them run amok. You're like, they'll become little, you know, uh, whatever. Run amokers. <laughs> Rebels. They'll be, you know, delinquents. And they'll be... You know, just this horrible human being. So you begin to teach them right from wrong because you foresee the future. But now imagine if you could see the beginning from the end and live eternally in the present. Meaning, you could see when your son or daughter were born and you could see how their life would end. You could see them finishing up primary school, middle school. You could see them finishing their secondary. You could see them graduate from university, their wedding day, their first child, your first grandchild. You could see everything from the point of present. Can you imagine that? If you can, you're better than me. Because <laughs> I cannot fathom that concept. Yet that is God. And so we sit here in this moment in time and we say, where are you? And God whispers to us, I'm right here. I'm right here. Well, why aren't you doing something? And God says, time belongs to me. You see, God isn't outside of time. In the sense that he sort of, there's no time in him. He created it. Because he created it, he's over it. He commands it. And so what you see as a present problem, he sees as a solution already. Because he knows how you're going to get to the other side. In the book of Hebrews, you have the story of the heroes of the faith and how their faith saved them. By faith, they did this. And by faith, they did that. And by faith, they did this. And then you get to about halfway through the chapter and it says, but then there were others. Had the same amount of faith, but they weren't delivered. They were, they were sawn asunder, they were killed, they were burned, they were, at the, they were murdered at the stake. They, whatever it was, there were a lot and still are those whose faith doesn't become reality. And you say, well, where's God then? You see, that is answered in scripture. He sees them already sitting with him at the right hand in heaven.
So he says, that's all right. That's just a moment in time I see you in eternity. Why would I stop you from coming to heaven? See, how God sees whether it's our problem or our society will always depend on how you understand the sovereign motion of God. How much is everything already uh, preset, preordained? How much has God decreed? What is the will of God? Galatians 4.4 says, When the fullness of time came, speaking of Jesus, Christ was born of a virgin. Well, actually that fullness of time to the Jew was not a good time. You see, they were under Roman oppression and they couldn't shake them off like they shook off the Greeks. They weren't able to, they weren't getting these guys off their back. And the hope, the expectations of Messiah actually were low at the point of his birth. So low that they couldn't even understand those magi that came from, from the east, even though scripture already said they would come looking for him. And when they say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Do you realize that the, that the Pharisees, the priest who answered Herod when he called him and said, hey, well, what's this about the Messiah being born? What does the Bible say about that? So oh, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Well, because these guys are here saying that he's already born. Yeah, well, if he is, he's in Bethlehem. Who didn't go down there? The religious. They didn't believe it. It was some guys from Persia who had heard this, this prophecy from a guy named Daniel and it was passed down from generations and they believed it and they came. Abraham is told while he is alive, your people, this is your land. But by the way, before you get it, you're going to spend 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Well, where are you, God? Can't you stop that? You should stop that. That's not a good thing. Slavery is not good. We don't want to be slaves. What can we do? Can we travel in time, change it? What do we have to do to change this? God says, oh, no, 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 no. That's my will. Have you ever thought of that? That was his will. Yeah, he told Abraham, the time of the Amorites is not complete, therefore you cannot inhabit this land. So you got to leave, and you got to go down to Egypt and spend 430 years in Egypt, and then you can come back, and I'll give you this land. And for 400 years, or at least 200 of those, don't you think the Hebrews were saying, where are you? How long do we have to be slaves? Where are you? And God is saying, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Just hold on a little longer. About 200 years. Okay, 150. Not yet. Today we read that in just a few verses and we forget the generations that were away from the promised land. 
Jesus himself, at various times, the crowds incited by the religious people, the crowds tried to kill him. Did you know that? Did you see those passages? As a matter of fact, in John chapter 7, verse 30, one verse says, his hour had not yet come. Because God controls the events of time. Abraham had a servant, and he sent a servant to look for a wife for Isaac, and he sent him to the land of Ur, where he was from, the land of the Chaldeans. And when this guy got there, he's like, well, where am I supposed to go? How am I supposed to find this person? How will I know? And when he realizes he's in the place of God, he says, I being in the way the Lord led me. And so we understand God leads. Now, don't you want God always to lead you in the good, luscious, green grass beside the still water? I mean, who doesn't? I want to be led through the garden, the flowers, not too much pollen, I have allergies. But you know what I mean, the nice, luscious, you know, nice. So tell me, how has your life been? Has it all been nice? And whether you accept it or not, you are today the product of all the good and the bad. And in that bad, you learned, you grew, you were stretched, your faith was stretched, your trust in God was stretched. Ruth the Moabite, she, uh, it says in scripture that uh, when they were gleaning, that's social welfare, by the way, Jewish style, when they were gleaning in the fields, it says, she happened to come upon the field of one Boaz. And if you know the story, you say, well, how lucky her. What a coincidence. And you keep reading the story and you realize, ah, it was a God incidence. And so we wonder, where is God in the midst of all of this? You can't delay God's time. You can't hasten God's time. And when God's purpose is accomplished, it brings forth the will of God. It accomplishes his purpose. When his purpose is to bring something to pass, no one can make it come faster or slow it down. That's what we teach in theology proper, by the way. We call it the providence of God. We explain the decree of God that says nothing is to chance. Nothing is to chance. Number two, there are three spiritual truths, and I want to speed up here. There are three spiritual truths you need to understand. Number one, or first, A, the appointment of time will come. Yes, it'll come. Might not be your idea of time and how fast you want it to come, but it will. Because 
if your desire is God's desire, it will come. That's not hallucination. Hallucinations are not complete. They're not carried out. You know, you can't just hallucinate your way into the will of God. If your hope is God's hope, it will come. He said, well, how do I make it, how do I make my desires to be, God's desires to be my desires, God's hope to be my hope? How does that happen? How is, how is, how is this? If time is not in my hand, if it's in God's hand, how am I supposed to know what he wants? How is it that I'm not to faint in well-doing? The psalmist says it this way, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It says, find pleasure in God. What does that mean? You know, when you come to know God on a personal, a deeper sense, and you begin to know his word and you begin to understand how he hates sin and how he loves righteousness and how, how it is he functions and, and what it is he wants and what it is he desires, you start to say, that's what I want. And so you see, when you line up your desires with God desires, he gives them to you. When you line up your hopes with his hopes, they're accomplished. Second one is, you cannot hasten time by fleshly wisdom or works. That is what we called taking matters into your own hand. You think, I can help God. He's just a little busy right now, so I'll just help him a little bit. How hard it is to wait. How hard it is to wait. It is hard. Because we can't see the future. We don't live in the present. We, we, we can't know what's ahead. And so we fret. Because we wonder what's going to happen in the middle of my financial difficulty or my health or the problems I have with my neighbor or whatever it is that ails us, whether it's society as a whole, you just don't know where it's going and so that worries you. And God says, but I don't need help. I got this. And we keep saying, do you? Maybe you need a little help. Abraham tried to help God. Do you remember the story of a guy named Ishmael? It was a woman named Hagar. And, 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 and basically Sarah said, oh, I can't have babies anymore. We're in trouble. So here's my, here's my maiden and have a child with her. And now we have an heir. And Abraham forgot God and said, I think I'm supposed to give God a hand. And we know how that turned out, the eternal conflict between Arabs and Jews. Moses, well, he did the same thing, see? Moses saw the oppression of the Hebrews when he realized that they were his ancestors and so on. He said, I'm going to give God a hand. I'm going to start by killing them one by one. And he killed one. And then he spent 40 years shepherding 
in the back of the Sinai Desert. Not God's time, not God's ways. And when you think about the idea that I did likewise, that's scary. You see, I myself, in one point in my life, thought God was just not moving fast enough. So I kind of gave him a little hand and pushed a few buttons and promoted a few things because I just thought, you know, things need to move forward a little better. And it cost me 16 months sitting in the dugout, not being able to play. 16 months in the bench because God said, what are you doing? Why are you trying to do my will your way? I almost quit. I think probably in my head I quit. But I still had to go to church. I was married to Mary. I mean, what hope did I have of quitting, right? But I had lost all hope because I got put in the sideline for 16 months for trying to help God. See, it comes without human effort. When it is God's time, it always comes without any effort. It comes without human effort. It comes quickly, easily, effortlessly. It is always easy to recognize God's doings. Abraham and Sarah had an expression for Isaac, God's doing. They, I mean, how could she at 90, I mean, God's doing. It was just God's doing. Moses, who single-handedly delivered the Hebrews, learned the lesson. God and I make a majority. By myself, didn't work. But with God, he and I make a majority. In his time, all is possible. And Ruth, who was in the welfare line, you know, gleaning in the fields, do you know the rest of the story? She got to own those fields. They were hers. And she became one of those individuals in the line of Christ. Number three, and to close, what are the hard facts to this? Well, right now, maybe you feel that you're saying that what is going on? What is your timing, God? And let me tell you this. Hard fact, you are in the will of God in everything that you cannot change. You are in the will of God in everything that you cannot change. Who you are, who you married, where you live, your house, your bank account, your friends, your restrictions, your troubles, all of it is the will of God. It was what he wanted you to learn from and to learn in. Now, if you're living in sin... That's not the will of God. That you can change. You know, 
As a pastor, I find myself so often in a really hard place. I really do. I wish you people understood our place sometimes. Sometimes I have people knocking on my door asking for help. Now, there are two kinds of people that need help. There are the ones who by chance found themselves in a hard place. And there are the ones who went to the, to the wasp nest with a stick, poked the nest, hid the nest, got stung by the, by the, by the, by the um, wasp, and then come and say, help me. Now, you don't know how hard it is to say, why should I? You went and hit the stupid nest. What do you think is going to happen? It's obvious. Your children, right? Remember them? Right? You tell them, and you tell them, and you tell them. And then there's the one. <laughs> and you want to say, oh, don't come crying now. How many years did I tell you, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that? I got tired of telling you, don't do that. And then you get in trouble, and now you come, and you expect me to get you out of trouble. You can do that with your family for other reasons. But what do you do when it's your sheep? You tell me. I want you to tell me. When your sheep do things that you know are going to get them in trouble, you know they're going to have problems, you know they're going to have issues, and you just wait because they're going to come. Because that's what they do. But all inside of you, you want to say, why did you disobey God in the first place? That's a hard place to be in. And so, if you're living outside of the will of God, if you're living in sin, you have to change that or God's will will be discipline. And it comes in all sorts of ways. All sorts of ways. And then you come say, oh, please help me. I, does anyone ever stop to think of it from our point of view? Try. It's not easy. And all oh, tell me, I can tell. I can tell where it's going to end up. Just, you know, that's when you can say, God told me. I've lived long enough that I know two plus two is four. So I watch how a person lives and I know exactly where they're going to end up. <gasps> You're a prophet. No, not really. It's called observation. What do you do with what you can't change? Because there are things you can't change, right? Well, let me just tell you, they're there to form you. They're there to mold you. They are there for you to turn you into the kind of person that God wants. Remember Paul? You know, he's out to persecute the Christians. You know, why didn't Jesus stop him before he started? And then, 
when he falls off the horse, you know, God has to tell him, hey, stop fighting against me. I'm trying to do something here. It's like God smacks him a little bit, you know, and says, wake up. Pay attention. Listen, I got something here for you. Galatians 4.19, this is what Paul says in that regard. He says, my children, now listen, listen, to the, listen to the emotion in his writing. My children, with whom I am again in labor. That's our pain, labor pains. That's the word for, for pain of childbearing. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. See, becoming like Christ isn't all, you know, fun and games. It's suffering. Those difficulties will make you to be like Christ. And there is no age limit. You're never too old to be disciplined by God. You're never too old to be formed and molded by God. So what is God's will? Well, your present condition, your present circumstances. That is God's will. So I don't like them. Hey, listen. I don't like the heat either, but I can't change summer. That is his will. Best thing I can do is, like some, fly north. But do you know what would happen if I did that? Does anybody know what would happen if I, me, if I would fly north right now, I would be out of God's will. Because his will is for me here right now. And so my selfishness says, no, you can't just up and go to Iceland. Nice place I hear. Never been there, but certainly has to be cooler than this place. It's called Iceland. But that wouldn't be God's will. It would be my selfish will, but not God's will. So let me define to you God's will. Ready? Pay attention. I'm only going to say this three times. What you would willingly choose for yourself if, what you would choose for yourself if, one more time. What you would willingly choose for yourself if you knew everything that God knows about you, your future, your needs, and your purpose. Do you know everything about your future, your needs, and your purpose, and yourself? No. Does God? Yes. You're in the center of God's will. So does it pay to complain? No. All you can do is examine yourself, make sure you're not in sin. Because that'll explain half of the reasons why you're in the, per in the problems you're in. But if you can look in that mirror of the word of God and say, I am living as best as I can according to the will and the purposes and the principles and the teachings of God's word, and I'm not just inventing my own religion, then you're in the center of God's will. And so you need to apply it. Christ is being formed in you. 
in the trials and the fires and the limitations and the injustices of life, in the victories, in the triumphs, in the good times. He is being formed in the darkest time of the night during those pains of labor. He's being formed in you. So you apply it first by saying, I am in the will of God. And you say that. I am in the will of God. I will be happy and joyful and not sad and complaining. I will enjoy the present will of God. With my bad hip and my bad knees and my scar, you can't see it, but it's there. Don't get mad at God. He's working out the best purpose for your life, the best plan. He is forming Christ in you. So just enter the victory of it now. You're in the will of God. Just enter it. Focus on being what he wants you to be, not on what you have or you have not. We spend all our life trying to get to what we want instead of just saying, thank you, God, for what I have. God is more concerned on what he can do in you than on what he can do through you. You want to serve God? Make sure he's working in you. The working for God part is easy. The him working in you, that's hard. So praise the Lord for the darkness of the night. For in it, God is forming Christ in you. Let me read to you quickly three verses and we'll close. They're found in Habakkuk. This is the book we kind of looked at. If we would have time, we'd have looked at this whole book. It's beautiful. And then you will understand why he ends like this. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruits beyond the vine, the produce of the oil fail and the, year, and the fields yield no food. The flocks be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Even if everything's going wrong. Why can't he just say that? That would be so much easier. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on the high places. That means destroy the evil that is around me. That's what that means, walk on the high places. I hope you know, and I hope you live in the will of God and not be constantly saying, where are you, God? How long? Because the truth is, he's right there. And he's got all things under control. Let's stand and pray. It is hard, Father. I will be the first to say it is hard to 
Think about those truths in the midst of difficulties. When, when, it's, when something is due and we've no money in the bank and it's due and it's got to be paid and it's hard to think that yes, you're still in control. Or when our health is failing because we're getting older, because the body is breaking down and it seems, Father, sometimes as though there are things in our lives that just remind us how, how utterly weak we are and that in all of that you are in control and that we are in the center of your will but it is true help us to live in that truth help us to self examine and be honest so as to not be in sin and be living the consequences of that sin oh Lord Help us to know your eternality and to rest upon it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly, a ministry of AMG Spain and AMG International. For more information, please visit our website at www.rcatorrevieja.org. This audio file is not copyrighted.